to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome. We are so glad that you're here and looking forward to being together. We're starting a new sermon series this morning called Wise Up, and we're going to make our way through the wisdom literature in the Old Testament which is probably not a sermon series you've ever heard before. Jeff came up with this idea, and I was like, I didn't know he ever used those books for sermons. So um, I'm excited about it, though. We're going to start in the book of Proverbs today, and I love the book of Proverbs, so I'm excited about that. I want to make sure you know that on noon, at noon on Mondays, we do a Facebook Live. It's 30 minutes, and we've been doing this every Monday where one of the other pastors will interview whichever pastor preached, and we continue to explore the theme from the Sunday before. So I think Carrie is going to interview me tomorrow at noon on Facebook Live. If you can't catch it at noon, then we post it as a podcast, and so you can listen to it later. I would love for you, if, if this sermon leaves you with more questions than answers, then I would love for you to send me those questions, and we'll spend some time looking at those things together when we... Um, when we talk, Carrie and I talk tomorrow. So before we turn to the scripture, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for this day, for this time to be together, and for this, your word. God, we pray that now as we read these words, that they would be your words, that the words spoken are your words, that the words heard are your words. And may this encounter with you be so powerful that we cannot walk away unchanged. In your holy name we pray. Amen. We're going to start at the very beginning of the book of Proverbs in the first chapter. I'm going to read the first seven verses. So listen now for the word of the Lord. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For the learning about wisdom and instruction. For understanding words of insights. For gaining instruction and wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity. To teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Let the wise also hear and gain in learning and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My grandmother was a Proverbs ninja. So she, not necessarily the biblical Proverbs, but those just cute, like, pithy little sayings that were advice on life, she worked those into every conversation. And you didn't always know exactly what she was talking about, but you felt like it must be very wise. So you tried really hard to listen. She even had Proverbs covering her house, all in her kitchen. The walls were filled with these iron trivets that had various Proverbs on them. Now, some of them, like this one, were meaningful, this prayer of gratitude for mom and dad and the work that they do. But most of them were a little sillier and said things like, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may diet. There's a whole collection of those if you're interested. (laughs) I I can go all day with those. 
So every time I spent the night at my grandma's house in the morning for breakfast, we would eat our breakfast and, and read the walls and giggle at the irreverent instructions of life that my grandmother's walls gave us. Certainly, proverbs are charming. They're fun. Sometimes they contradict one another. There have been more than one conversations with my grandma where she told me that haste makes waste. And also, he who hesitates is lost. I don't know if I'm supposed to be waiting or taking action. I just know there's lots of proverbs involved in the conversation. So I think that that's kind of how I felt about this book of Proverbs. The, book of, the biblical book of Proverbs was kind of like my grandmother's walls. That it's a collection of fortune cookie sayings that are really good for signing yearbooks or painting on a palette sign, but maybe not so good for like a hardcore Bible study. At least that's how I felt until I did the hardcore Bible study on the book of Proverbs. And the more time I spend in it, the more I love it. It's actually a really deeply complicated book. It wrestles with what it looks like to be a person who grows in faith, but at the same time, a person who has to figure out how to navigate a complex and broken world. It deals with questions like, how does one go about making wise decisions and developing into a faithful human when there are all of these seductive sirens of the world calling us closer and closer, promising us a shiny spot on top of the world, except for when we get there, it turns out to be a pit of destruction or despair. All through the book, that we are called to wisdom. We are called in a way that challenges us, encourages us, invites us to continue to choose the path of wisdom over and over again. But the book warns us it is not easy. Christine Yoder is one of my favorite theologians, and she says this, Proverbs evokes our sensibilities exposes our prejudices, and engages us in a process by which our understandings are clarified, complicated, and disciplined. And even the structure of the book, the way the book is put together, is also quite fascinating. It's not just a bunch of little sayings that all got tossed into a book. There's actually this whole narrative arc of the book of Proverbs that we follow as we make our way through the book in the beginning of the book, the understanding is that the person reading, that the learner, is young and just beginning. The first nine chapters are these long narrative poems that illustrate what it looks like to begin choosing wisdom. We meet the woman of folly and the woman of wisdom, both of them calling out to the learner, enticing the learner to follow each of them. But then when you get past the nine chapters, the understanding, the hope, is that the learner, the reader, that we are a little older, a little wiser, better able to understand more complicated ways of the world. And so then the book starts to deal with the more complex issues like relationships, politics, money, religion. And then by the end of the book, the learner is aged lying, well, I don't know if they're on their deathbed necessarily, but very close, talks about being so close to, the, to death. And even then, Proverbs says, even then, there is wisdom to be obtained. There is still a journey that we are on. This past week on Tuesday, we celebrated the life and resurrection of a longtime church member. Her name was Ann Jeffrey. Her kids, she raised her kids here, her grandkids. Now they're raising grand, her great-grandchildren here. 
a faithful, faithful woman who loved Jesus. So we get to this funeral, and, and we're celebrating 93 years of faithful life, and, and Anne's daughter got up to speak. And she said, you know, the thing is that Mama always said, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. It's so important to seek the Lord. And, and she said, and I looked at Mama, and I said, Mama, you're 93. Haven't you found him yet? <laughs> and Anne said, oh, you're never done learning and seeking the Lord Anne knew what the book of Proverbs is teaching us, that this journey is so important that we will literally spend our lives journeying and seeking wisdom and the Lord. So this morning, we've started out with the very beginning of the book. These first seven verses are considered the prologue of the book of Proverbs, helping us to understand what's the point in learning all of this. Why do we need to spend any time in this book anyway? And so it goes through this wise teacher or sage that's teaching us these things, tells us all of these reasons that there's so much for us to learn, to grow in faith and wisdom, that it's important to develop our character and to establish a moral compass. I'll tell you, as the mother of two teenage boys, this is, these are lessons that I'm desperate to teach the young learners in my house I'm constantly begging them, please be wise, please be wise. Be thoughtful of your surroundings and the impact of your decisions. It seems like middle school and high school are impossible contexts in which to be wise. But at the same time, if I'm really honest with you, I don't think it's exactly easy to be wise as an adult either. Certainly, I'm not tempted to do things like cheat on my algebra exam or vape in the bathroom at lunch. But I am constantly figuring out what does it look like to be a person of wisdom. What do I do when a family member that I deeply respect says something so incredibly offensive? How do I handle it when a friend's hurt causes them to lash out at me for something I'm not responsible for? What do I do when the people I love are struggling with addiction? What's the best choice when I have to choose between sacrificing for the good of my neighbor or providing for my family? The fact of the matter is that sometimes, or probably more than sometimes, the path of being wise just isn't that clear. And so we read Proverbs, and we see that in Proverbs, this idea of navigating this journey, this path of wisdom, and figuring out what that looks like. And so in this prologue then, in this beginning, they tell us right there, this is where you need to start. It tells us in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the theme verse for the whole book of Proverbs. We're going to keep coming back to this idea over and over again. That we must fear the Lord. That walking a journey towards wisdom has to be done in relationship with God. We cannot rely on our own selves to discern the correct path. It has to be done with who we are in relation to who God is. Fear the Lord, Scripture says. But what does that mean, fear the Lord? That feels like a really packed phrase. It feels really complicated for us to decide what exactly does this mean to fear the Lord. 
Because the interesting thing is, quite frankly, when we look in the scripture, the heavenly beings in the Bible are constantly telling the people of faith, do not fear. Always, over and over, do not fear. When Daniel's going into the lion's den, do not fear. When the 23rd psalmist is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, do not fear. When the shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks by night and the angels arrive to tell them the birth of the Messiah, do not fear. Over and over again, we as a people of faith are told, do not fear, and yet... And yet the scripture is so clear that there is one thing that we are to fear. Although logically in our brains, we think it's the thing that we should least fear. But the Bible is clear. It is the one thing we are to fear. And so we get hung up on this idea of fearing the Lord. And what does that mean? And how do we get to find that? And how do we live that out? And it makes sense that we would have a really hard time with that phrase. Let's be really honest, the church, Christianity, has a really sordid history with this idea of fearing the Lord. Several years ago, we had a member of the staff, the Roswell Press staff, who had attended a very conservative Bible-based university. He told me that when he was in college, every October, the university would host what they called a salvation house. It was a spin on a haunted house where the people would come through the house and and go and look in all of the rooms where there are these terrifying, scary images of what it must be like in hell, suffering eternal condemnation. And so the people would come through this house, come out terrified of what's going on, and there, the staff member who was in college at the time would be there to tell everyone that they could avoid going to hell if they would just accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I questioned the staff member on the appropriateness of this evangelism technique. And and this, honestly, might be the scariest part of all of it. He said, don't get me wrong, I thought it was terrible, but I was getting did great on how many people accepted Jesus. Y'all, is this what it means to fear God? Is this what we're called to? Unfortunately, throughout the history of Christianity, there have been organizations and churches and preachers and evangelism, evangelists who have manipulated people using fear, weaponizing faith. And so if this has happened to you, if this is part of your story, then on behalf of the church, please hear me apologize. This is not what scripture calls us to do. This is not who scripture calls us to be as Christians. The Bible actually goes to great lengths to tell us about a God who is loving and gracious and merciful. All through the Old Testament, there's this phrase that says God is slow to anger. And the whole point of last weekend was to demonstrate that when God wanted so desperately to be in relationship with God's people, God didn't use a fear tactic. Instead, God's only begotten son hung on the cross that we would believe in him and be in relationship with him. So if all of this is true, If this is the case, then what does it mean to fear the Lord? Why would scripture tell us this? And what's interesting is that if you go through the book of Proverbs over and over again, it's a central theme that the the wise teacher is going to keep calling us back to this idea of fearing the Lord. 
But what's also interesting is that when the wise teacher uses that phrase, fear the Lord, over and over again, it's used in several different ways. It means several different things. Sometimes it means the dread of God's disapproval. Sometimes it refers to the trepidation in the presence of God and awe, a reverence in the presence of the holy. Sometimes the, the writer of Proverbs will use it synonymously with knowledge of God. And if we're honest, there are times when the wise teacher is referring to the fear of the Lord as a fear of God's punishment for certain, and certain consequences. But let's be honest, that makes sense, right? We like to think of God as a soft and cuddly God, but the fact of the matter is, if God is this great and majestic, sovereign creator God that we can't fully understand, then as small and finite humans, there has to be a glimmer of fear there. Otherwise, it would indicate some sort of lack of spiritual awareness on our part. But in all things, every time the teacher uses this phrase, fear of the Lord, every time in all approaches, it always indicates a state of humility for the learner. For us, it always calls us to a place of humility. Fear of the Lord is an orientation to God that certainly is complex, but it always has the understanding that God is God and we are not. Therefore, fear of God will include everything from moments of intimate prayer to moments of obedience to moments of trembling in God's presence. You've heard our senior pastor, Jeff, refer to C.S. Lewis. He does it all the time. He loves C.S. Lewis. But what you might not know is that C.S. Lewis also wrote a series of children's novels called The Chronicles of Narnia. In this series, the children discover a wardrobe in their room that they can travel through into a whole other world and they have all these adventures in this fantasy world that they can travel into. In the midst of these adventures, they realize they're going to go, they need to go and meet the king, King Asland, who's a lion. Now they're anxious about meeting this king lion because, I mean, we all know what a lion is capable of. So they talk to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about meeting this king. And they say, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then is he safe, said Lucy? Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So the children then appear before Aslan. The children and the beavers appear before Aslan. And a few pages later, then the book tells us this. As for Aslan himself, the beavers and the children didn't know what to do or say when they saw him. People who have not been in Narnia sometimes think a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they caught a glimpse of the golden mane and the great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes. And then they found they couldn't look at him. And they went all 
trembling. When the children came into the presence of the king, they went all trembling. An overwhelming awareness of the king's presence. And at the same time, this acute awareness that it, of what a king can do with that much power and might. And at the same time, the honor and reverence and awe of the majesty before them. A reminder of who the king is and who they are in relation to that. So that, my friends, is our call That is our call to fear the Lord, a good God who has power and authority to create the universe and still deigns to be in relationship with us. Fearing the Lord teaches us our place in the world and in our relationship with God. So yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Is it safe? No. Along this path, we will be called to do hard things. It will cost us relationships. It will change our understanding of the way the world is to work. It will impact how we spend our time, how we spend our money. Is it safe? Is it easy? Is it comfortable? No. But it is good. For God is king, I tell you, and God is good. And the fear of the Lord then, the fear of the Lord then becomes the best and most fullest expression of wisdom that we are constantly seeking. And so, my friends, let us fear the Lord, and in all we do, seek after wisdom. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for being a big and mighty God who still deigns to be in relationship with us. So continue to walk with us on this path of wisdom that we would seek you in all that we do. But yes, Lord, that we would fear you in all that we do. In your holy name we pray. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.